0: Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and to help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them.
1: It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began.
0: It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad, because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries, and actually it
1: enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost, and I just wanted to take her hand and help her. Get, get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will
0: always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope. At Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the amazing Tabby Galuccio with me and she is going to share with us her journey with anorexia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tabby. Hi Millie, oh thank you so much for having me, I'm so excited. Awesome, well let's get straight into it. So to start off with, I want you to give our listeners a little bit of an insight into your journey with anorexia.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, I am 19 years old now and I sort of started to struggle with body image and confidence um, and sort of feeling like having a place or a purpose around sort of year nine. So I was about 15 years old. Um, And obviously, like most people that unfortunately, you know, fall into the traps of an eating disorder, we don't realise we're going down that path until it's too late. So I sort of started to think, Maybe the thing that could be, you know, unique or special about me is I'll I'll be healthy and I'll be the fit one or whatever. Um, and I thought that that might get me, you know, some love and a place. And that obviously spiraled well out of my control. And in about 2016, I um, was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and I started undergoing treatment um, at a hospital here in Perth. And then. When you turn 18, you kind of um, age out of the system, which is a bit unfortunate and a bit of a loophole I find in the system. So since then, I've sort of been living my best life, trying my best to recover on my own as an adult in the world, which is kind of crazy, but doing really well. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty awful chapter in my life, but definitely something that I've learned I countless, countless lessons from and I'm very passionate about now.
0: Um, yeah. I love how you talk about, you know, finding your place and that your eating disorder in a way at that time felt like a way in which you could find your place. It's not a phrase that I've heard a lot of people use in reference to the eating disorder and it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I, I find it interesting you haven't heard many people talk about that. I It sort of was filling that void for me that I always felt that in high school people had, maybe they were... In a state sports team, or maybe they were really academic, or they were the popular group, or whatever, and they had something that was like their identity. Um, and I was also, I'm also the middle child, and I just never felt that I had something of my own or something that was tabby. And obviously, I didn't want to be tabby, the girl with anorexia, and that wasn't what I intended, but it obviously just led that way. But yeah, that was that was how it started
0: for me. So for those who are listening to you today that have absolutely no experience with eating disorders, can you describe to them what it felt like for you to live with an eating disorder?
1: Living with an eating disorder in today's climate is possibly one of the most confusing and challenging experiences really to describe because we do live in a world where unfortunately diet culture is everywhere. So often things that you're going through before you really reach the depths of your eating disorder when people start to notice, they're kind of praised like, oh, she's just taking care of her health or, oh, she's looking great. She's, you know, she's lost a bit of weight or whatever. So first of all, I'd say it's really isolating and scary at the start because you're, you feel like something's off, but you're not being recognized. You're almost being praised. So I think that is something that a really bad part of society at the moment, so I think we need to raise awareness around. But when you actually realise that you've got a really serious issue going on, I don't think there's a more scary, horrible, isolating feeling in the, whole, in the whole world, really. Living with an eating disorder feels like it's your means of control and it's your means of identity and who you are, but also it strips you of everything that you are. It takes away your joy. It takes away your personality. And I kind of remember that time of my life as a different Tabby. Like I don't actually really associate with her anymore. Um, I feel like it wasn't me. And I feel like something else had completely taken over my soul and and my body. Yeah.
0: It does really feel like that, doesn't it? It's like a takeover mission. Like someone has come Hmm. in and is just taking you over and you're right, although it's you saying these things and doing these things, it doesn't feel like you at all.
1: No, it really, really doesn't. And that is the hardest thing to explain to loved ones and to family who are like, where is my daughter gone? or or where is my, you know, my partner, my sister. Um, my little sister really struggled to understand what was going on with me. I'd always been her, her big sister, her role model. Um and she really just couldn't quite understand what was, what had changed. And I think that must be so terrifying to see someone you love go through this from an outside perspective. I'd, I'll obviously never understand it, but I can only imagine.
0: Absolutely, I know that my brother felt felt the same way in terms of just feeling well, not trying to understand, but also obviously as you and I both know, it's almost impossible to understand it unless you've lived and breathed it. But also that sense of absolute powerlessness because you're pretty much watching someone slowly kill themselves just in a different way and you're completely powerless to stop them
1: yeah you are and when you do try and help them often unfortunately the response is aggr- like it's aggressive um because you're coming from a place of your eating disorder saying what are you doing you're threatening me i've got my place here i've got my grips into this person so when someone tries to yeah to give you help essentially it fires up and it can be a i must it must be absolutely awful trying to push recovery onto someone that isn't
0: willing yet to take it absolutely and you're right you know the eating disorder does just fire up because exactly as you said you are threatening very thing that it wants to hold on to you know in this death grip that it has on the individuals that it um you know takes over and it's as soon as it's threatened in any way it's just as you say fired up it's got its claws out and it's going to do its absolute utmost to prevent anyone from coming in and and trying to fight that fire yeah
1: absolutely I I can't say any better myself and I think that's something that maybe isn't discussed enough yet in, in the world of eating disorder recovery is, is that role that unfortunately people do have to play, those that love you, they really do have to go through hell and back to try and get a hold of the person that was there before, the person that they love. And I know for a lot of people, they recover themselves, which I find absolutely amazing that people can bring themselves to recovery. But for me, it really was my parents. My parents really saved me. So I think that people who um, play a big part in recovery for others don't get enough recognition sometimes.
0: I couldn't agree more. Those people that hold that hope for you and give up, uh, sorry, and don't give up (laughs) no matter what. You know, they just hold that hope and there is nothing more important than that, especially on those days where you feel like, is this ever going to end? I may as well give up. When you've got people there loving you and supporting you and walking alongside you on that journey with absolute, you know, they are just, will not give up their hope. It's, no. It's more, it's more important than I can even really begin to articulate. I agree. I think you, you really start to lose
1: hope and sight of any form of way out. Sometimes there's, there was definitely days, weeks, months, When I would go, I can't see a life beyond this. Um, I don't remember a time before this and I can't imagine a time after this. This is my reality. This is what I know. Um, But those people are there to say, no, we remember you before. We know that you are a person deep down and that this is so far from what you're going to do with your life. And you might hate them in the moment. Um, I hold so much guilt and remorse the way that I would speak to my mum for example when she would be like you know it's mealtime or whatever and I would snap so much guilt around that but now that I'm on the other side it's that's the deepest like sign of love that I've I've ever received
0: was that form of persistence. I couldn't agree more and like you I hold a lot of guilt and remorse for the way that I spoke to my parents and and my brother and because you lash out at your nearest and dearest, and those who are there in the trenches with you day in and day out, and I think that's what people don't realize, is the intensity of that battle for not only the person who is suffering, but also for the entire family unit, because it is relentless, and it doesn't stop, and the screaming matches, and the things that are said, and you would never in your right mind when the eating disorder isn't hasn't taken you over, you would never say those things and you would never react that way. But in that moment it's like you don't have control over what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Now you said to me recently that you felt like you were kicked out of treatment because you were too old, which unfortunately is an all too common story. How did that feel? What what impact did that have on you? That was one of the most frustrating experiences
1: I've been through honestly I felt so discredited um, and just cast aside it felt like the bonds that I'd formed with my treatment team were just false it was like you know we're here to care for you and it's a personal connection oh wait sorry you're old too old now that was kind of all pretense so I was really hurt um and it was also really scary to think I have two options. I can either go and seek adult treatment, which can be really, it's a, a sort of a step up in terms of harshness, I guess, um, and also money. It becomes a lot more expensive. Um, or I can try and do this on my own and outsource help. So that's what I did. I sort of went and found my own psychologist, Um made myself regular doctor appointments to, to follow up on my own and sort of created my own team on the outside. But, yeah, it's a really, really big problem. And I think a lot of people who are definitely not ready to take that step that I did, uh, luckily I'd been in treatment for four years or so, so I was quite secure. Um, a lot of people get worse because they're left to their own devices.
0: I think this is a real issue that we have where there is a real lack of transitional support once someone goes from being either in an inpatient environment or being seen as an outpatient of part of a team and then all of a sudden it's like, sorry, you no longer meet the criteria, so there you are, you're off on your own. And there isn't that really supported Um, continuum of care that needs to happen around then. And as you say, it can either cause relapses, um, feeling of, as you said just before, like those bonds that you'd formed with your treatment team were all just some sort of farce. And it's just, it could so easily be uh, remedied by there being some follow-through and making sure that every individual is okay and, you know, has got... A a plan, uh, and as I said, a continuum of care, so that they feel mm-hmm. supported throughout that next phase of their journey.
1: Yeah, and the biggest thing that a lot of people with eating disorders, um, I only really I can only speak about anorexia noosa, but a lot of the feeling is that yeah, you're not loved, and you're not valued, and you're not special without your eating disorder, because you get attention, although it's just attention attention for medical purposes, you feel that for once you're the center of of a lot of people's focus. And then to be completely cast out of that so quickly, I honestly don't understand how that people that study eating disorders can do that morally and and not feel some sense of Mm. guilt and shame
0: around that. That it makes no sense to me. It's one of the biggest issues that I ever faced
1: in my treatment.
0: I completely agree with you. It doesn't make sense to me either. And, and I mean, it's not rocket science to, you know, surmise that that would then reignite a lot of that low self-esteem, low self-worth that the eating disorder originated from in the first place. Exactly. It's ironic almost. It's mm. completely – it's a catch-22. Mm, mm. What, what changes would you like to see in the mental health system to prevent other people experiencing what you experienced?
1: I think that there needs to be a bridge between adolescent care and adult care because the jump at the moment is so extreme that there's a gap. Um, whether that be like a fade out from maybe when you turn 16, 17, they start to prepare you with options. Um, for adult care maybe that could be some way to look at it or maybe there just needs to be more government funding going into adult care so that it is possible for more adults who it's
0: coming out of their own pocket to seek treatment I think that's some great great ideas and I think Hopefully, we've we've got a few opportunities coming up where we're going to be able to, uh, as an organisation, indeed, is going to be able to speak directly to uh, the Minister for Mental Health. And so I will definitely put those in my back pocket and present those to him as well uh, when we're talking about the different gaps in the system and what needs to change. Because I think this is where lived experience really comes into its own in terms of, you know, you've walked... The walk so to speak and you know what didn't work and how it affected you and you know that information is priceless as far as I'm concerned and it can be used to create real change that is going to mean that other people aren't going to have to experience what you did.
1: Yeah exactly and I think the biggest thing we can do um, as those that have recovered to not necessarily pay back but it helps me for example with my feelings of of, um, guilt and remorse is to think about ways that I can put back into the community and prevent others from going through similar things.
0: Have you got any lasting physical implications from your eating disorder?
1: Well, I'm still definitely struggling to maintain a completely regular period, which has definitely been frustrating. I've always been very, very, very passionate and driven to recover from my sense of wanting to be a mother. Very, very maternal. (laughs) Only 19, but I will want kids someday. Um, And unfortunately... It, is, it has returned, however, there's just still hormonal imbalances can take a really long time to restore. And I think often people in recovery, we get so fixated on, oh, I've got my period back, I'm healthy, mm. I'm working, I'm functioning. But it needs to be almost less taboo because it needs to be regular and it needs to be less of a big deal, your first one, that doesn't really matter. It's about that maintenance um, because once you become a woman, there's so many there's so many hormonal, hormonal things going on in the body. It's kind of crazy. So that's been the biggest implication for me. But I've actually been quite blessed. I've had no bone issues or anything like that.
0: That's so good to hear. And I completely agree with you on the period front because I feel like too often clinicians say, Once you've got your period back, we'll know that you're at the point where, you know, your weight's at a good space. And then what I get is from clients, well, I've got my period back, so I shouldn't have to gain any more weight. And getting your period back does not mean that you've found, as I term it, your happy place yet. As you say, there's so many other factors to take into consideration, and getting your period back is but one of them.
1: Oh, and how many times did I, in recovery, use it against my parents? I got a period, so back off, you know? Yes. I don't care what you say anymore. The doctor said once I had my period, I was fine. So far from where I should be health like at a happy weight, like you say, I love that term, where your body settles, where your body is happy and can relax. At one period, oh, my gosh, I think it needs, like BMI, I think it needs to be banned from The world of this is just that way.
0: I completely agree. And it's just, again, it comes back to everybody's body is different so some people may get their periods back at a weight that is far too low for them even to begin to be thinking about getting rid of the eating disorder cognitions so we can't say oh fantastic (laughs) you're fine and I think it's really really important for people to hear that and it's great that you've brought it up because for me as a coach I, I sometimes feel like I'm repeating myself on and on about that doesn't mean that you've found your happy place yet so it's wonderful to hear it from you as well.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I find, I think that as a coach, if someone had said that to me in recovery, it would have been really helpful. So I think it's really great that you're very aware of that, Millie. Really.
0: <laughs> have you come to a place of acceptance now with your body?
1: Yeah, so for me, I'm i a musical theatre performer, so that's what I study, which is amazing. Um, That's relevant because <laughs> I have now come to a point where I, because I'm so physical and I dance and I use my body as my tool, I am so much more focused on what it can do for me than um, aesthetics. So I definitely wouldn't say, yeah, I love the term body acceptance because I wouldn't say I'm body positive. I wouldn't say, oh, I love my body. But I definitely am at a place now where I'm like, wow, my body just let me do that dance number. Or, wow, my body let me get through a 12-hour rehearsal. So definitely acceptance is, yeah, it's really starting to become Become a part of my recovery and my world and my everyday. That is something that yeah, it makes me a bit giddy to think about. It's pretty.
0: It's pretty exciting. It's one of the biggest shifts, isn't it? Because all of a sudden you'll find yourself just being okay with things that other that otherwise would have sent you off the rails.
1: Yeah, it's insane. You when you're in the depths of your eating disorder, you actually can't imagine how other people don't think about food every second of the day. Like, sorry what are you thinking about? I don't understand. Are you not counting down to your next meal? Are you not planning your workouts? Are you not tracking every calorie? And then you get to a point in your recovery down the line and you're like, oh, wow. There is so many other things going on in the world. There's so much more brain space. I can do so many more things. And it's quite crazy how absurd the eating disorder is and how it really just goes down a really odd path and makes you focus on the weirdest things. Mm
0: -hmm. But at the time, they don't seem weird at all. It seems all completely logical.
1: Oh, so logical. So logical. How could anyone not understand? Mm -mm
0: -mm. (laughs) And so musical theatre was a really formative part of your recovery then?
1: Yeah. Musical theatre saved me, and that sounds so cheesy. But I... Wasn't allowed to do sport in high school when I fell sick. So I thought I'm a, I'm a very go getter type of personality, which a lot of people with eating disorders are. So I needed something to fill my time. So I joined the choir thinking maybe I will like singing. Had had no, no expectations. And yeah, I fell in love with singing. And that led me to trying drama. And that led me to doing the school musical. And now I study it full-time at uni. So, (laughs) yeah, it just really pushed me because there was no way that you can be a musical theatre performer or be up on stage for so many eyes and seem unwell or frail or, you know, not strong enough to complete a three-hour musical. It's, It's just not an option.
0: Yeah. I think it's wonderful when you find things like that the things that pull you through those threads throughout your recovery that just keep you pushing towards freedom. I think one of the biggest things I would say to people
1: that are struggling is to write out honestly daily or multiple, it's multiple times, even at every meal time, if you have to just three things of why you want to recover. Mine was always, I want to be able to have children. I want to do musical theater. Um, and my, for my family so those three things often would really push me through when I was going what the hell this is this is achievable."
0: Mm. I would
1: look at those and that would help me so I think if, if anything
0: maybe some listeners could take that away I think that's a wonderful idea I know that social media had a big part to play in the development of your eating disorder talk me through what was going on in your mind at that time
1: yeah, I am so passionate about this. I have a younger sister, she's 14, um, and seeing her with TikTok and Instagram, oh my gosh, it makes me so anxious and so nervous for things that she's exposed to. But yeah, when I was growing up around that age, Instagram and like Tumblr and sort of Pinterest and all those sort of things were just so based on aesthetics. Um, it was all about filters and it was all about, you know, like that girls with the messy buns and the perfect skin and so silly. But when I was growing up and finding that I didn't feel enough or special or loved and then I would go and log onto these sites and see all that sort of thing, it was it just reinforced it. It was horrible. It made me look at myself and go, Well I'm none of these things. I'm not achieving much. I'm not aesthetically perfect um how can I fix this and I think that ultimately did really play a part and so what led me going down the route of maybe I'll just try health maybe I'll try having clear skin and things like that
0: was there one platform that affected you more than the other
1: I would definitely say Instagram yeah I think I think Instagram has the biggest tendency to be a highlights reel um, and to show only the best parts of your life. And I would see friends hanging out in, you know, having the best times and just laughing. And it would always make me think their lives are so great and they're always so happy and perfect. And I was never seeing them, you know, in their mundane life or their struggles. So I was just comparing myself to but it, was, it wasn't was even reality, but I was comparing myself to that, to that level of perfection and joy and it made me feel even worse about what I was doing with my life. Mm,
0: it's definitely, definitely mm. a danger there with Instagram. My concern also at the moment lies with TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but the amount of people daily who reach out to me sending me concerning content that appears on TikTok and apparently the amount of what I eat in a day that happens and someone literally said to me, Someone who's still struggling in the midst of their eating disorder came to me and said it's literally like a cesspot for eating disorders on TikTok. What are your thoughts on it?
1: I absolutely... I have the strongest issue with the what I eat in a day. I can't possibly think of any world where that's doing anyone any good. We are all, as we said before, completely unique and every body is a different body. There is no world in which... Somebody else's what I eat in a day is the right thing for what we eat in a day. Um, And having those reels, which also often have exact calories or like goals, like this what I eat in a day for weight loss or this what I eat in a day for a flat stomach. If you were being exposed to that on loop on your TikTok whilst in recovery, can you imagine the detriment that that would have and how you would probably – compare it to your meal plan that you've been set maybe by your team and you'd see the vast difference maybe in in the calories and it would just make you feel absolutely hopeless and awful.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's very, very dangerous. And I think that as a platform they really need to do some thinking as to how they're going to protect their users uh, from accessing this highly, highly triggering content.
1: Well, I think I don't understand as well why we still allow, you know, Photoshop and editing and Facetune. I sort of thought as a society we were past that. I can't understand how it's still so prevalent. You log on to Instagram or TikTok and half of my feed now will be stuff about body positivity and that's all great. But then I still come across so many things that are clearly Photoshopped, but you you can't always help it. It just, it's in and you often subconsciously tell yourself that that is the beauty of standard because it's on your, oh my gosh, the standard of beauty rather, because that's what you're seeing. So I wish and I hope that maybe we could move towards a world where that does start to be banned um, on certain social media
0: platforms. Mm. Is there anything else that you think needs to be done to mitigate the risk of, of social media further exasperating the current eating disorder crisis?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that certain products that are being promoted as well, um, things like, you know, those really ridiculous weight loss teas or bad diets and things like that, I, they might not be direct, they're obviously not targeting people with eating disorders, they're not promoting them to people In recovery but there's a weird um, like the way that Instagram works it seems to be that if you like something about body positivity it somehow thinks that therefore you want to see an ad about weight loss tea. I don't know how the system works but I think they really need to have a look at it because I've noticed on my feed even which is pretty much solely recovery accounts and positive influences my explore page is still filled with mm. what I eat in a fitness account. Mm. So that needs to be addressed because people are taking an active effort
0: to avoid these accounts, but they're still being shown them. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree with you. Was there ever a time in your recovery where you actually used social media as a tool for you know to, to benefit you?
1: I tried really hard to... Be one of those people that use social media to be a positive influencer, or oh, oh, this is my recovery journey and come along with me but then my recovery team pointed out to me you basically just created a glorified food tracking journal um, and I unfortunately that is also a really bad area of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, in recovery, I'm sure you're aware yeah a lot of people create these recovery accounts and essentially they just post what they eat in a day and they just very quickly become restrictive and very quickly become venting accounts which they put trigger warnings on but trigger warnings just attract people with eating disorders because unfortunately anorexia is very competitive which um, basically means we'll just compare ourselves to each other and who's recovering better and oh, she's still eating less than me in her recovery, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I very quickly was told let's maybe keep our recovery separate from social media so I actually can't really say that I did use social media that much in my recovery I think if anything I took a break from social media so did I it's yeah I think sometimes you have to you have to disconnect because your recovery is so personal and often it's about grounding yourself and getting back to what makes you intrinsically happy and for me it wasn't looking at physical accounts on Instagram It was spending time with my family and it was singing and dancing. So, yeah, I took a break from social media. And I think – I can't really think of many ways in which social media would be positive when you're in the depths of your eating
0: disorder. I love that you took a break and 100% yes to reconnecting with family and doing things that bring you joy. It's so important. I think that there are – I mean, there are positive uh, aspects to it in terms of, you know, I run a couple of um, different, my Healed Recovery Coach account and the Indent Australia account where I post recovery orientated content. And mm-hmm. there are some great uh, accounts out there that are very recovery, health at every size, mm-hmm. body positive spaces where people can get inspiration from but i completely agree with you that when you're in the depths of it sometimes it can be hard to only look at those pages and not uh, get tempted to go down the rabbit hole with others so i think if you can taking a break completely is such a good idea
1: that's really really true and actually i completely i don't know how i forgot but i i should have mentioned there are Nowadays, I get so much inspiration from accounts such as yours. Actually, I basically strictly follow um, recovery accounts, and they do inspire me daily. So I probably should have mentioned that. But I think when you're in the yeah the early stages, that mm. seems so far away. You just can't mm. absorb any information. But for people in maybe yeah long-term recovery, because unfortunately it is something you'll probably experience for a long time. Um, Social media can be a really good way. When you wake up, we often all check our phones. If you open your Instagram and it's, you're met with pro-recovery quotes and things like that, I think that is, that's that's definitely positive.
0: Mm. Now, you've got a younger sister. Do you worry about the potential of her developing an eating disorder? Is it something that you talk about with her?
1: Yeah, it was one of my biggest... for a really long time because I'm very, very protective of her. But if anything, she's almost gone so far in the like opposite direction in terms of pro body positivity and everything like that, almost trying to be an example for me. Um she was so there for me in my recovery that she would try and sort of set challenges to do with me. She'd be like, We're going out for milkshakes, Tabby, like let's do it. Um, so She was the one often pushing me to step out of my comfort zone, even though she was younger than me. Um, So whilst I used to, yeah, I used to worry, I don't anymore. And if anything, I think she saw how horrible it was and how there was absolutely no positive side of it that I don't think it's something she would
0: ever, ever venture towards. That's so heartening to hear. And I yeah. love that she challenged you to challenge yourself. That's fabulous. Did you, do you have any Yes, I have a brother. Yeah, you have a brother, don't you? Yeah. 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 And he was incredibly supportive. And he was younger too, so he's four years younger than me. He was compre- incredibly supportive throughout my journey. Uh, although, obviously, as I said before, it's just such a hard thing to be able to wrap your head around And I think there were definitely – I know that there were definitely moments in my journey where it was just all too much for him to even fathom or cope with, and he needed to take breaks. But at the end of the day, he was still there, holding that hope and that love for me, which meant the world to me.
1: It's amazing, isn't it, that younger siblings can step up and almost Mm -hmm. walk
0: with you for a little bit. Yeah. Yes. It's incredibly (laughs) powerful, and I think it – Strengthens the bond that you have with them uh, post eating disorder.
1: I completely agree. My family is closer than ever, which I would never wish an eating disorder on anyone. But if there's a silver lining, yeah,
0: we've really, really come together as a family. Mm. It's a wonderful, wonderful positive at the end of a very, very long, tough. I don't even when you try and des- when you think about it and you try and describe it right. There really are no words. That are going to <laughs> communicate exactly what it's like, because even if I use the word like living hell, that still to me is not strong enough words to to tell people what it's actually like in the trenches behind those closed doors.
1: Yeah, you're so right. Sometimes I honestly think that I've blocked it out because I can't remember. Like I, I think it's a lot of it's actually foggy, almost like my brain's protecting myself. Um. There's like months where I'm like, I don't remember what, what happened there because it's, it's, yeah, it's worse than hell. It's it's your life. That's the thing. It's, it isn't hell. It's actually what you're living and therefore you can't escape it. So it becomes a day in, day out slog of actually everything just blends together. It becomes a bit of a groundhog day, to be honest.
0: Oh, 100%. It has groundhog years and years. yeah Decades for me. <laughs> Like, oh, my goodness. The only, the only sort of sign of the fact that life's moved on is that all your friends, are, it's like, oh, they're all married now. Oh, gosh, now they're having babies. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm still back oh, trapped that's... in a 12-year-old mind. Isn't, isn't that so, so sad? Mm. And the fact that
1: eating disorders are sort of only recently getting the recognition for how severe they are mm. is astounding to me because the way you've just described it, it is the most odd and severe mental illness. You, you literally don't progress. Your brain stays captured basically in when you got sick. Yet, for so many people, eating disorders are just this vain diet. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, your development <laughs> emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all of those things are so stunted because you don't participate in, in all of those rites of passage that grow you as a person because you're so consumed by your eating disorder. And those things are so formative and they shape you. And so you have to then, once you've recovered, almost go through those rites of passage just as an adult.
1: Yeah, I remember being sort of 17, 18 and wanting to spend time at home only. I was obsessed with my mom. I, was, I basically resorted back to like a four-year-old. And I just wanted to be with my mum all the time. My friends would go out partying or whatever and I had no interest. I had no interest in being social. And it was, wasn't just a fear of, oh, what am I going to eat? And fears of that sort of thing in social situations. It was also just genuine lack of understanding of social situations. Because I'd been distanced for so long. And I didn't have the shared experiences. I didn't know what to talk about
0: with these people. Mm can totally, totally resonate with that. What is the most valuable thing that you think your eating disorder has taught you?
1: The biggest thing that I have learned from my years of my eating disorder would definitely be that you never know what someone's going through. Um, and my biggest, I guess, quote that I live by, not really a quote, but I just always say be kind. Because I think that if I'd been maybe shown a bit more kindness, during the initial stages when I was struggling instead of people just sort of turning a blind eye and going, oh gosh, that's a bit scary. We don't know what's going on with her. I think that that could have, it could have really helped me along my way. Um, So now I think whenever I think that maybe somebody has even the slightest something going on, it's just the simple, are you okay? Do you want to talk or do you want to get a coffee? I think that empathy and human connection and kindness. Kindness, kindness, kindness is so underrated. Um, and it can completely change someone's day.
0: One hundred percent. And I think what you said there around, you know, people are fearful of things that they don't understand. And I think that's why it's more important than ever that we continue as people with lived experience, to raise awareness, to share our stories, to stand up and be counted because the more that we do that, the more people are going to understand about eating disorders and therefore feel more able to approach people who they feel might be struggling.
1: Yeah, I definitely noticed and I, for a long time, was resentful of the people and my friends that, left me when I when I got sick but now that I look back on it and I think you know I was in year nine they were young girls they didn't know what was going on they were scared because they'd never been educated about what an eating disorder was um that's why they felt yeah they felt fearful and they didn't know how to approach me or to talk to me and I I felt angry at them I thought why why have you just left me when I'm clearly struggling and I think that comes down to the fact that there is an education in school. There is no talk of mental illness and signs of mental illness and how to help someone if you think they're struggling or who to talk to if you think someone is struggling. Um, so now one of the biggest things I'm passionate about to my sister is I'm always very aware of starting conversations like that with her and you know, asking her to check in with her friends. Because like you said, We're human. We fear what we don't know and we should know.
0: We should know these things. We absolutely should. In your opinion, what are the best ways people can support someone who's going through an eating disorder?
1: This is such a tricky one because every individual wants something different from how they want to be supported. But I think in general, you need to try first to talk to the individual. Um, if they don't want to engage in conversation, um, that's okay. That They're not ready, but you need to try because I, I think I probably would have liked to have been spoken to personally because I'm, I'm a very talkative person. Um, and if that doesn't work, then I think you need to speak to their closest loved one, definitely. But you need to do it in a way, a, like a kind way, not a accusatory way. I know my parents struggled with a few people being like, What's going, like, what's going on at home sort of like how are you treating your daughter kind of thing which I think is just so horrible um, so I think coming from a place of understanding and kindness and trying to just start a conversation but then once you're actually into the treatment of the eating disorder patience, patience and understanding and just trying to put yourself in the person with the eating disorder shoes instead of going getting aggressive at them for not wanting to recover thinking what are they feeling right now why why are they acting this way Um, educate yourself I think would be the biggest tool
0: educate yourself it's very 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 important so finally what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with especially those who are still battling it out daily in the trenches of their eating disorder
1: yeah I would say to all of you listening that whilst you feel isolated and you feel alone, there is absolutely hope for you. And if anything, take this podcast as a sign that things are changing and that the world does want to help and that the world is listening. And hopefully if we continue to spread awareness and we continue to work together, it will become less taboo and you won't have a need to feel so shameful and so isolated.
0: Um, And, yeah, if I can do it, you can do it. Absolutely, you can do it. I love that. You are incredible, (laughs) Tabby. You are so inspiring. And there's been so much in this episode that I know people will be able to draw from. And I can almost visualize people listening to it and taking lots of notes. And I just cannot thank you enough for sharing really authentically your journey and your views on on things in this space. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Millie. This is a bit of a dream, so thank you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure.
0: This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at nded.org.au. I always used to like,
1: how can people not hear what's going on in my head?